All right, let's get started here. Uh, this is Colin Shots. I am Seth Partnow uh, from the. Uh, two quick housekeeping notes before we start. First of all, um, uh, you may have noticed, or if you listened on on Monday, I promised a, two pods later in the week with Jen Statsky, the showrunner of Hacks, still doing that. She's editing the second season of the show right now, and so we've rescheduled tentatively for next week. And I recorded an interview with uh, Rodney Barnes, the head writer of uh, Winning Time, uh, and I that I should be I should get that out tomorrow. So if you are on this feed. Uh, we had an interesting conversation about, uh, you know, bringing a fictionalized version of the Showtime Lakers to light or to, to life. Um, all that said, um, I'm joined today by uh, my colleague at The Athletic, uh, Timberwolves beat writer John Krasinski. John, how are you doing? Doing great, Seth. Just got to uh, Denver. I was hoping that tomorrow's game would have a little bit more stakes between the Wolves and the and the Nuggets, but such is life. Still, uh, Happy to be here in the hotel room getting ready for what should be a fun one tomorrow. Getting acclimated to the altitude, I assume. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Got to, got to hydrate a little bit more. And, you know, uh, you know I'm a little more winded uh, you know, walking in from, from my Uber into, into the hotel. So I got to adjust to that a little bit. Is it uh, – I always – like there's, a, there's been a theory when like the U.S. men's national soccer team like goes to play in Mexico City. They want to fly in as late as possible. <laughs> so that the altitude gets them the least. That's that. that uh, is that the uh, is that the operating theory here, or, or or it's just that's that's the life of a beat writer. No, yeah, that, I think that's the life of the beat writer, and <laughs> and uh, and and I, you know, my plan is is to get in and then you know go out and have a few beers tonight, and I think that will acclimate me just just really nicely to what we have to do here. So there you go. That's a, a good city for that. Yes, absolutely. So, uh, another good city for beer, uh, Minneapolis. No, sorry, that's a terrible segment. But um, so I was, I was telling you, I was uh, mentioning to you right before we started that uh, um, one of the games I've, I actually, I, I don't go to that many games anymore. But one of the games I went to this year uh, for the uh, of the Bucks was the early, early, early in the year when uh, I don't know, probably about the I don't know the tenth game of the year or something like that uh, when the Wolves came into to Milwaukee and D'Angelo Russell hit seemingly every jump shot. Uh, for most of the game, and uh, the Wolves come, came away with the win, and that was when the Bucks were kind of going through it early in the season with guys in and out of the lineup and not really playing super well, maybe a little championship hangover. And I left that thinking, man, that was a bad loss for the Bucks, but the Wolves are kind of frisky. Um, the Wolves continue to look very frisky, and the loss looks a lot less bad now. So what has what has transpired over the course of the season for the Timberwolves to be, I would say at this point, it's safe to say they're pretty legit. Yeah, it's you know it's been I think one of the more surprising storylines of the NBA season. I think um, when you look at what historically the expectations have been for this team and this franchise, and to see them exceeding them to the degree that they have been, there's a bunch of things. Obviously, I think that whenever you see you know something like this happen as emphatically as it has there's it's not just one thing but there certainly are real you know big foundational elements you know number one is Carl Anthony Towns has sort of emerged from this fog of the last two years he had a bunch of injuries that he was dealing with he lost his mother and some other family members to COVID he really struggled from a personal and professional standpoint and he has sort of kind of found himself again and he's playing at an all NBA level. He's been 
much improved defensively. He is an incredible offensive player. He's back to his ultra-efficient self. Um, and it's just really put together a, a, a really quality, strong season. Um, then you have Patrick Beverly, who was acquired for Juancho Hernan Gomez and Jarrett Culver, two absolute stiffs in terms of what the Wolves were going to use them, you know, hopefully have them. They were not going to be in the Wolves' rotation. And before he was fired, Gerson Rosas swung a deal to send Hernan Gomez and Jarrett Culver to Memphis for Patrick Beverly. And Beverly has been everything that the Timberwolves wanted Jimmy Butler to be. Now, obviously, Butler is a much better player overall than, than, than Patrick Beverly, but Beverly is kind of that hard-nosed, defensive-minded veteran leader that has actually gotten all of the young guys on the squad to follow him rather than hate him. And, and so um, you know, him kind of coming in and really establishing a different tone, uh, bringing in a, a different mindset and a more of attention to detail and more accountability has been enormous for this team. And then, you know, another really big one is Chris Finch. You know, the head coach has just had a very, very good feel for this roster really good X's and O's wise, but we're also really good in managing a, a group of personalities that are pretty, you know, um, big. I mean, in terms of they are, they're, they're, this is a team that feels all the feels that is demonstrative, that has a swagger and, 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 and Finch has done a good job of sort of letting them kind of feel their oats that way, but also reining them in when they have to. And so you put all those things together along with, Several other things, Anthony Edwards in his second year improving, D'Angelo Russell having a, a much better year this season. Um, a lot of those things have really conspired to make the Timberwolves a, a group that, for the first time in a very long time, is not disappointing and not underperforming, but actually exceeding those expectations. So there's a lot of different places to go there, and I think Beverly is... Uh, a good entree into something. Somehow a team kind of bookended by D'Angelo Russell and Carl Anthony Towns is, according to Cleaning the Glass, uh, 11th in, yeah. in defensive rating. Um, now, that's that's somewhat a testament to Pat Beverly. Uh, I think somewhat a testament to some of the other players in the roster. But most of all, that that a lot of the credit, I think, has to go to Chris Finch. Mm-hmm. Um, I've, I've talked to people around the Wolves, and, you know, you, you mentioned – uh, better defensively, and and from from Russell and 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 Towns, that seems to have gone a long a long way. But still, even with that, just getting to be an above average defense with this roster seems like a tremendous accomplishment. It it, it really is, Seth. And it, you you look at it historically, the, this team has always been at the bottom of the league in defense, even when defensive minded head coach Tom Thibodeau was here. Defensive minded players like Jimmy Butler and Taj Gibson were here. Um, they were still in the 20s, 23rd, 24th, 25th in defense with those guys. And so Chris Finch has come in and he has empowered his assistants, Elston Turner, Kevin Hansen, to really kind of remake how they play defense in Minnesota. And what he's done has been to kind of shelve the drop pick-and-roll coverage that they used forever and ever with Carl Anthony Towns and instead really kind of activated these young legs. I mean, he's got 
a bunch of young guys who have the energy to move around, to cover for each other, to scramble. So they play a more of a high wall defense, they call it, where Towns is out, out front on the pick and roll. He's not dropping back. Um, then you have kind of scrambling situations where people, Jared Vanderbilt has been incredible in terms of the way that he's able to guard multiple positions and switch. Jaden McDaniels has been a huge, before he was injured, just a huge um, uh, improvement for them for, as a two-way player, but, but especially as a really solid long wing defender who can make life difficult for shooting guards, point guards, power forwards, small forwards, and, and very switchable as well. And then Towns has been much more disciplined. He has been much more reliable. He has been more of a presence as a rim protector, but he's just kind of minding his P's and Q's a lot better this season. And I think a lot of that is the coaches and Pat Beverly have figured out how to impress upon him how important this is. And so I do think that, you know, all of those things together, but especially the schematic changes that the coaches have put in place have really just activated this team. And now if they make mistakes, you know, they're, they're, they're mistakes of aggression and not because they're laying back and just getting picked apart. And so now they've been incredibly good um, at creating turnovers. Anthony Edwards has been really good in that, in that category. Uh, they, they turn you over and get out in, in, and that feeds the open court and that feeds transition and really kind of drives their offense in some ways as well. So for the first time in literally forever, um, you know, going back to KG, Sam Cassell, Latrell Sprewell, this is actually a good defensive team. They're not, you know, stellar. They're not top five great, but they are a good defensive team. And when you score like they have been scoring, for the most part this season, they did not need to be top five to kind of push themselves into the playoffs. They just needed to not be embarrassing. And they've been much better than that. Uh, I lived in Minnesota the last time that they, that, <laughs> that the Wolves, the Wolves were, were a good defensive team. That's how long it's been. Um, so you, you talked about activating players and um, there's, there's two in particular I want to hit on and you can, you can talk about whichever one first. I remember I, I, th- I was speaking to uh, uh, Jim Peterson, uh, um, and one of the things he told me was that Chris Finch had found a way to better hide D'Angelo Russell's weaknesses and accentuate his strengths on on defense. And in particular, his strength there was something yes. that he pointed out. Um, what what is you know what does that entail on the floor, and how does that you know, allow him to be um, a more serviceable defender than he has been throughout the rest of his career. Yeah, I think it's been in in terms of role um, the right fit for him because he's not a guy that you're going to put on a dynamic offensive player and expect him to have a whole lot of success. He doesn't have incredibly quick feet. He is, uh, you know, he, he has some length to him. But he's he's not going to really bother anyone that way. He is much better on the weak side. Kind of, you know, you stick him on uh, uh, on one of the worst offensive players. But then one thing he is, he's, he's really smart. He watches a lot of film. He understands what other offenses are trying to do against them. And so he's a very good anticipatory defender. And so you will often see him kind of sniff out where the ball is headed 
before it's going there, and he will jump passing lanes and get steals that way. With his long arms, he is able to get his fingers on passes that kind of try to, they, that opponents try to sneak through passing lanes that close up a lot quicker with Russell kind of reading the play. But in, in general, the biggest strength is that communication. And so he is the one that is kind of calling out plays. He is speak, talking to Anthony Edwards, talking to Jaden McDaniels, more at the point of attack of the defense. He's kind of calling out screens and letting Carl Anthony Towns know, know where, where the, uh, the, the obstacles and the landmines are. And I just think that, that he is a, more of a talker than a doer, but I think that his, his intelligence and his anticipation are helping to make up for a lot of the other shortcomings that he does have on that side of the ball. And so they're not really just, they're not asking him to do things he is incapable of doing. And that I think has helped him feel more engaged as well. He doesn't get demoralized during a game when he's trying to cover, you know, whoever it is, Chris Paul or somebody like that. He's, he's doing things in a different way so that he can be successful in that role. And I think that's been a big help. So the way you describe that, I mean, as the defensive quarterback, generally speaking in the NBA, that's usually a big man who's yeah. sort of in the back line calling stuff out. Like sometimes you'll see, you know, a point guard, you know, motion and, and, and call play sets out. But in terms of like coordinating, you know, who's going where and calling stuff out, that's usually, you know, the big man's job because everything's in front of them. Um, so that's sort of an unusual thing. And on the other other hand, I think that leads to the other player I want to talk about is a guy who was extreme. Like I, I he was a player who was extremely intriguing to me. Um, for looking at this from sort of the player personnel side when he came into the league, Jared, Jared Vanderbilt, mm-hmm. an unusual player who I think a less imaginative coach might not have a use for, but has really been turned into a very impact by 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 this team. For sure. I mean, just like his overall energy is really a driving force of the team's success. You can tell on nights when he has sat out because of injury that they miss something when Jared Vanderbilt's not out there. And he's not a guy who's going to give you 20 points in a game. He does not take any shots outside of the restricted area, really. Um, but on defense, he is so versatile. He's six eight, has super long arms. He had, you know, when he was at Kentucky, Seth, he was a McDonald's All-American big-time recruit that was coming in and was going to be a big factor for the Wildcats, but he had all of these foot injuries that he had to deal with, and he had to have back-to-back foot surgeries that really kept him out for, you know, kept him from you know, doing much in college and then kept him out for the first couple of years of his NBA career in Denver. And so he kind of came to the Wolves in the Malik Beasley trade and was sort of like this unknown, this more of a throw-in kind of feel to it. But give credit to Rosaska, give credit to Sachin Gupta and a lot of the, the Timberwolves scouting department in front office. They identified Vanderbilt as a guy with upside, and he has been healthy here for the most part and really emerged as this defender that just swoops around. I mean, he's un- it's incredible on the offensive glass, first of all, like, crashing the glass and getting these you know rebounds out of nowhere and using these long arms to just gobble everything up and, 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 and extend possessions. But then on defense, he is strong enough to stay with you know fours and some fives. He is quick enough and long enough to make it difficult on twos and threes and some ones 
to, uh, to, to, to kind of get around him. And, and so he just really in, imposes his will on the opponent. And they ask him to do all sorts of different things every, every, every night. And he just takes it on. He takes on all comers. Now, the, there have been some, some times this season where he's been a, such a minus offensively that um, you know opposing uh, defenses will be able to double up on Carl Anthony Towns a lot and just ignore Vanderbilt. But I do think Finch has done a good job of getting him in spots, whether it's the dunker, whether it's you know cutting um, you know off screens and things to get him just enough offense to keep the defenses honest for the most part. And and that's been the whole key to this is you you can keep him on the floor when he is just getting enough, eight points, 10 points, a put back here, a dive there, catching a pass and converting at the rim to make, make you have to put a body on him. And then that opens up things for the rest of the offense. But defensively, I mean, he's just one of their very most important players, if not the most important with how many different responsibilities he has and is capable of shouldering. So I'm not, this is not me reporting anything, but this is me inferring that I think that uh, you really can give a lot of credit for him being kind of the additional piece in the trade to, uh, to, to the folks in my side of the shop, the analytics. Sure. I've, yeah. I've, uh, I've, I've, I've mentioned this before on the, on this and other, other podcasts, like in, you say he didn't do much in Kentucky in the, he played about 14 games, I think, uh, or, or something like that in that time. The, the numbers he put up literally broke my rebounding. <laughs> like he yeah. like I it basically like I had to like art like artificially like limit how much of, how how uh, good a rebounder it thought he would be so that it wasn't like breaking this it wasn't breaking the curve for <laughs> for every other prospect uh, and his historically so and between that and he uh, he was one of the more unusual prospects because. A monster rebounder, high steals, and also a pretty good passer. Yeah. Uh, has he, Has he? you know, for a guy who doesn't have a lot of scoring touch, has he shown off uh, kind of the ability to, to like, catch the ball on the move and make a play with it? So one thing he has struggled with a little bit, Seth, has been catching the ball in traffic. Like they have tried to use him pick and roll, going to the basket. And if you have to thread a ne- the needle on a pass to him, going to the basket, sometimes he has struggled with that. But you do see he does have the ability when he grabs a, a defensive rebound to take the ball up the floor himself, and he's very comfortable handling in the open court. He can pass the ball a little bit. He hasn't done a ton of that yet, but you can tell that there's more there to be had, and I think you will see more of that as he kind of continues to grow here with this team and with, with this coaching staff and these teammates. But Denver, the, the Nuggets... Um, uh, in one summer league ran Jared Vanderbilt at point guard just to experiment because they really believe that he could handle a lot of those playmaking duties. And I do think that that is an area where you will continue to see him do more. He's been, you've seen like little glimpses of it and he's tantalized with it a little bit, but um, he still hasn't quite opened the bag fully on that. And I think we'll see more of that certainly going into next year, but it's there. You can see he's, he can grab and go very, very easily. It looks very natural. He's not fighting the ball. He's not dribbling a football out there. It, it's, it's, it's very free and easy for him. And so um, I do think that that will be you know, just an area that continues 
to blossom, you know, and the more that we see him out there and the more comfortable that he gets in those situations as well. So it seems like, you know, the next step for him is being able to bring some of that to, to more half-court situations so that, I, you know, when, when there is a double team or when he is helped off, then he can, he can sort of do that half-court fast break thing where he's, he's got – yes. nobody's covering him. So, yep. um, yeah. Yeah, a couple um, dribbles, go to, you know, go to the rim, and then either find someone cutting or, or score yourself. The other thing that would be nice, and he is working on it, you can see him in practice working on it, corner threes, like he shoots it okay in practice. He, he just never shoots it in the game yet. He's not, he's not there. But any, anything at all to get you know, the defense to step out on him a little bit would go a long way to help him out for sure. That's, that's right. And I think, again, this is, this, is, this is a larger point is I think that, the, especially in today's NBA, the coaches that I think are most successful or you can really count on the most are the ones who can take an imperfect player, a non-standard player, and find a way. Like, you know, as you're saying, they're, doing, they're finding just enough places to put him offensively so that he's not – he does enough to still be on the floor. And that's, you know, I think that there are – there are coaches we can probably name <laughs> that would not happen. It's like, well, he doesn't, you know, he doesn't have the skills we need from a from a from a swing forward, so he can't be on the floor for us. And that's, uh, you know, uh, maybe a, a Ty Lue or a Nick Nurse or a or a, a, an Eric Spolstra, and it seems like a Chris Finch um, have figured out ways around that. Yeah, and this is one thing that this staff absolutely does not do is they don't lament what they don't have. What they do is just try to figure out how do we make what we do have work as as well as possible. And, you know, because Vanderbilt is so impactful as a rebounder, as a defender, they are just saying, like, he is too valuable to not have on the floor. And so, yes, he has some weaknesses or some deficiencies, um, and he's not the perfect player offensively, but because he gives us so such a high level of production in so many other important areas, you just got to figure out how to how to get him out there and how to kind of minimize those weaknesses as best they can. And so I do think that they do a great job of just doing the best they can with what they have, and and that also it, it really does trickle down to the player um, because. You know, I, I do think that Jared Vanderbilt has blossomed in part because he knows that the coaching staff believes in him and plays him and puts him in positions. And they don't, you know, they don't complain that he doesn't hit threes. They don't complain that, you know, that he doesn't do this or doesn't do that. And so that empowers him a little bit more to get out there and, and, and feel like he's valued and, 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 and a part of this thing. And so it's really kind of contributed to this breakout season that he's had. And I do. I don't think it's overstating it to say this has been a breakout for him. Sure. Now, this is this is this is an indication that this is a this is a Seth Partner joint in that we've talked for ten minutes about Jerry <laughs> Vanderbilt and haven't mentioned Anthony Edwards, and we're not going to talk about Anthony Edwards yet anyway. Uh, but we'll come back to him. But I wanted to do sort of a hard pivot. Uh, we you, you mentioned uh, Gerson Rosas earlier. Um, I guess there, I don't have a specific question other than. Uh, how, like what has changed over the last eight or so months, just organizationally, um, with with the, with the new leadership? 
it's both Satya and Gupta, but also with the with the impending partially in charge, whatever the ownership situation is. Right. So basically, right now, for for those who aren't familiar, um, the Timberwolves are kind of in this ownership transition period. Glenn Taylor is still the majority owner, as he has been since 1994. But um, they are setting it up now where Alex Rodriguez and Mark Laurie have already bought in at a minority stake and over the next two years plan on buying more of the shares to become majority owners by the end of 2023. So that has a put an interesting dynamic on things. Uh, right now, as people know, Gerson Rosas was fired like literally days before training camp opened um, for a multitude of reasons, including a poor working environment. He had a bunch of people on the staff here um, really kind of complaining about the way that he went about his leadership. There were some other um, off-the-court, shall we say, uh, I- issues that came up as well that were of grave concern to the powers that be here. And so um, he was fired. And um, I can tell you that you know, that was in September. And even at, at Summer League in Las Vegas, it was well known that there was a lot of angst behind the scenes in the front office of the Timberwolves with the way that Gerson Rosas was running things um, and, and the complaints that a lot of people had just about how he was operating. Now, now that he has been gone, Sachin Gupta has stepped in. He is in technically like an interim role. He's, he's the executive vice president of basketball operations. What the ownership group has said is that they will give him this entire year and then evaluate him at the end of the season to see if they go forward with him continuing in the primary decision-making role or if they go try and find you know someone to hire to bring in as a as a president and and this front front office has not made like a signature move they didn't make a big trade at the trading deadline or anything like that but one thing they did do is they didn't make they didn't make a trade for trades sake either i think holding firm and not trading Malik Beasley, who has been terrific after the All-Star break, not trading, you know, a, a Jaden McDaniels or anybody like that um, to try and go go get a big has actually proven to be the right call right now. Not trading Torian Prince, who's been terrific for them as well, um, when, they, when they could have traded him for like a Montrezl Harrell. I think that that was absolutely a good move as well. And so um, the patience there, I think, was was is a feather in 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 Sachin Gupta's cap, but also just the environment, Seth. Like all of that angst um, is gone. There's a lot of harmony. Everyone is is happy to come to work, and I think that that permeates the rest of the organization. Now, certainly, all of the winning has helped that in you know in an incredible way, and 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 had a big effect on it, but. Sachin Gupta is a very quiet leader. Gerson Rosas was a, was a leader who loved to be out front and be quoted and, and, and really have a higher profile. And so it's been a very different way that way. Chris Finch is much more of the kind of public-facing leader right now. And I just think that that fits what this team needs uh, uh, very well at, the point, at this point. So from that aspect of it, I think, you know, the front office, the analytics staff, like all of – you know, the group has really kind of put aside what could have been an incredibly chaotic and distracting 
situation where you fire your president a, a, a few days before camp, and it hasn't, they haven't missed a beat. It hasn't affected them one bit. It certainly hasn't affected the players at all either. So that's a credit to everyone involved being able to just kind of band together and 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 work the way that they have. And so I, I mean, I I know a few people around the organization. I'm sure you've heard similar things, but like. You, you mentioned the, the winning helped a lot of stuff, but it seemed like there was the, the vibes were better, even when the team was just sort of bouncing along before kind of they, they really kicked into the gear later in the season. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, from day one of training camp, um, I think that there was just a sigh of relief uh, when that issue was addressed. Now, certainly Gerson Rosas had his backers in the organization, have people that believed in him and, and Gerson Rosas made a bunch of good moves that helped position this team to be in this spot. I mean, ultimately, he was you know, the, the lead voice on a lot of these things, on Chris Finch, on Anthony Edwards, on Patrick Beverly, you know, on a lot of these guys. But um, there was just a lot of tension under his watch that, that was happening. And so when he was removed from the situation, when that was addressed— I really do think that everyone was just able to take a deep breath and then get to work. And, you know, Sachin Gupta is a, has a much softer, different touch with, with how they lead. And he, I think he has made people feel a little bit like they have more of a voice. And I think it, everything feels a little bit more connected uh, than it was under Rosas and, and so even in the early days, and they, they struggled out of the gates, Seth. I mean, I think they were four and seven at one point. They had a six-game losing streak. It was, it was rocky to start, but no one ever sort of you know, panicked and, 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 and really started pointing fingers. They just kind of stayed with it and, and kept grinding and, and came out on the other side of it. And that's, again, that's a testament to how Gupta, to how Finch, to how everyone really just kind of kept their heads in what could have been a very, very volatile time for them. I, I have heard that, it, that even though the, the, the ownership is still in transition, it seems like there are commitments to making more investment in the organization mm-hmm. than has necessarily been the past under Glenn Taylor. Um, yeah, is, absolutely. Is, is, absolutely. No, no doubt, Seth. Uh, I mean, you know, Mark Laurie and, and Alex Rodriguez you kind of came in with an initial $250 million investment, and they're spending that money. Um, they're hiring analytics folks. They're beefing up, you know, their analytics staffing. Yes. They are already uh, one of the larger staffs in the league, and it, um, uh, as they, if they hire the positions they have open, I think they might depending on, on uh, who counts in a place like Oklahoma City where the titles are um, opaque, uh, <laughs> who, who, who counts as an anal- analytics uh, staffer, they, they might have the, by this time next year, they might easily have the biggest group in the league. Yeah, and, 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 and that's something that Sachin Gupta feels really strongly about. It's something that Mark Lorty feels very strongly about. He's a, a big-time analytics numbers guy uh, and believes in – data analysis in, you know, in, in all of the things that they're trying to build there. And so that, yes, they have very much invested in that. They hired uh, Marquise Watts from clutch to kind of oversee the, the player um, 
hospitality, for lack of a better term, um, uh, wing of things where, you know, the, the, the Wolves have kind of been maybe labeled as, as kind of cheap in that regard over the years of how they take care of players, how they, you know, the bells and whistles for, for players and their families. They're bringing in, you know, they brought in someone from very high in clutch to re- kind of revamp that, and they're spending a lot of money there. So um, they have definitely injected not just like sort of the, the, the new owner enthusiasm and like the, the, the excitement that every new owner gets when they, when they get involved in these things and they're excited to meet the players and they're excited to kind of start to put their stamp on things, but they're spending real dollars and hiring real people um, to, to kind of overhaul uh, what has long been viewed as more of a mom and pop shop in terms of, of investment, in terms of, of expenditures. So that, that part of it, even though Mark Laurie and Alex Rodriguez are not yet in control of the organization, their presence has been very much felt in, in that regard. And I'll, I'll just add that, you know, for, for the, this, the, you know, the, uh, the, the play, like it, it's player called player relations or player development or you know, hospitality. Um, that, that, that's maybe something that, that may not seem like much, but man, does that go a long way towards, mm. towards keeping just, you know, the amount of time that, that everyone is spending together, just having, a good vibe in like the family room on game nights. I it's, it's, you know, you can spend, it's hard to spend enough money on it to actually make a dent relative to player salaries. But man, does it, that can, can, if that's bad, can it give the team bad vibes? And if it good, if it's good, kind of gives everyone a little bit more resilience because everyone around is happier. Well, yeah. And and let's face it too, Seth. I mean, especially in a market like Minnesota where it's, cold weather, not historically been a place that free agents flock to when you are, you are playing for a franchise that does not have a whole lot of success to sell. You have to sell other things. And, and so I think it's even more incumbent upon teams like the Timberwolves. You could throw the Bucks in there. You could put Indiana in there, you know, OKC, a lot of these teams that when you get players in here, you have to make it even more comfortable, even more um, more bells and whistles for them so they really truly feel appreciated because they're not going to be seeing sunshine every single day here. There's not a beach right you know, down the street. There's not um, you know, super vibrant nightlife seven nights a week until 5 a.m. Like, there's just a lot of other things. You know, it, the, the Twin Cities are an awesome place to live, and, and I love it to death, but – you have to be able to appeal to them on a different level to try and change some of the perceptions of the organization. And so if it's not the greatest weather here, if it's not the greatest arena here, things like that, there are other things that you can do to make the experience really valuable and, and make players feel like they are, um, they are being pampered. And you know that's, a, that's an important part of the game right now. For sure. Okay. Uh, we've been talking for for about thirty five minutes. Now, now let's talk about Anthony Edwards in, in, in year two. Um, <laughs> I've, I've put it off for long enough. Uh, what 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 has been the what has been the development uh, from year one to year two? I think he he put up some pretty good numbers as a rookie without mm-hmm. necessarily being super impactful towards winning, which is not it's it's you know that's that's not, 
pretty standard for most rookies. I think this year between like Evan Mobley and, and Scotty Barnes, I think we've been a little little spoiled almost in, into how much a, a rookie can can drive a team towards winning. That's unusual. Um, and but this year it does seem like that that production has has at least somewhat started to turn into uh, something that moves the scoreboard you know, more favorably. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he has first of all, uh, he's just a he's he's a, a a solid defender for them now. He's not, you know, he's not Gary Payton, but he is also not a sieve on that end of the court. He is a actually, and Chris Finch has talked about this a lot. He's a pretty good on the ball defender. We have seen him hold up in one on one situations against some really good players in this league: Luka Doncic, LeBron James, others. Um, where he has not been embarrassed. He's been able to use his size and his strength to his advantage. He can stay in front of people. He can, you know, he can anticipate steals. He's really good that way. Um, and so, so that's been like the biggest, I think, change in his performance that has contributed to winning is just a little, a better, uh, defensive understanding and better performance there. But also, I mean, he's just been a much better shooter, Seth. Like he's, 36% from three on 8.3 attempts per game. He was 33% last year. Uh, it's a little boom and bust with him. He's a little streaky still. But um, for him to be able to become just a moderate threat there, it opens up so much more for his game. The, the real shame right now that we've seen really for the last month or so is that he's been dealing with some soreness in his left knee. They call it tendinopathy. I just think he's had you know, a, a knee that he's trying to learn how to, to manage and rehab and do all the things to take care of his body on the off nights and things so that doesn't flare up. And that has taken away some of his explosiveness to the rim. But once he can get all of that to come together, I just, I mean, he's going to be an absolute monster from an offensive standpoint. But just to see the improvement defensively and the improvement from three-point shooting from year one to year two it shows that he is identifying what he needs to get better at and then getting better at those things. And so it really raises the expectations for what he can do going forward. His assists are up, you know, almost a full assist a game. He's passing better, rebounding just a little bit better. His steals are up. So all of these things are, you know, it, it just paints a picture of a player who from year one to year two is understanding you know, what he needs to get better at and then getting better at those things. And I really do think, Seth, it sets the stage for the kind of leap probably in year three that we saw John Morant take this year. I really believe he's going to be capable of that. And and that's going to be the the thing that everyone's going to be waiting for going into next season because he's already shown so much improvement in year two. So my, so this is... You know, the, the, the leap, as you say, it, it seems like the, the first part of it is, um, you know, this is this is often a problem with players with, with great physical ability, the ability to get shots off kind of at will, um, discerning what is and is not a good shot. I think that's still, just from my observation, that's still at times a struggle for him. And, and just, like broadly in, in terms of the run of play, I mean, he's shooting – uh, 42% on catch and shoot threes, 32% on pull up threes, but like two, uh, nearly 60 some percent of his threes are, are pull ups. Um, and uh, that's partially a, a result of, of role, but, and also there's, I, I, 
I do feel like situationally um, there, there's the occasional uh, quick get back three. But that's this is that's like normal young player stuff. But would you agree yeah. that that's still an area of of uh, of growth? But either you can either say it's 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 a drawback of his game right now or it's a growth potential. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and yeah, he definitely has things to work on. I th- I still think he turns the ball over too much um, on his drive, so he's got to be a little stronger with the ball that way. And yeah, like I think shot selection. The one thing I would I would term it as Seth is he he still. It seems like um, there are times where he can get into a situation where he doesn't necessarily know when it's time for him to take over and when it's time for him to let Towns or D'Angelo Russell cook. You know, so I think that they there's still a little bit of turn taking in the Timberwolves offense, um, and and and. It, they still have we, we still haven't seen a fully realized, okay, here are all three of these guys playing well at the same time from an offensive standpoint. You'll see Towns have a great first quarter, and then everyone wants to get Ant involved, and so then Towns goes away for a little bit, or Russell will, will come out on fire for a quarter, and then everyone kind of sits back and watches him work. And, and so Edwards has to kind of feel out I think things a little bit more that way and understand, okay, how do I still be really effective offensively, even when maybe it's not my turn to get, you know, a shot every other time down the floor. And so, yeah, I I think that that's, you know, you can call it a drawback, but I just think that's a a, a young guy who just is going to learn how to feel the game and the game flow and in all of those things over time and it's just going to take some time for him to understand those nuances that go into that. So do you think that he's fully, Oh, I'm going to say, I'm going to actually say it this way. I don't think he's fully um, figured out how to use his, his sort of physicality, his size, right. strength, and explosiveness. Um, he's averaging under, under four free throw attempts a game. Um, he's been a good, but not great finisher at the rim. I mean, there's been some spectacular ones, but just on, in terms of, on a percentage basis. Um, and so I, this is something where uh, it's something that's come up a lot this year in, in, in relation to RJ Barrett. Now I think that Edwards is starting from a, a, a much higher level uh, as a scorer and as an, as a player that, than RJ, but, but a lot of the success that Barrett has had kind of over the course of calendar 2022 is he's getting to the line a, t- a ton more. Mm-hmm. That seems like from, from watching Edwards too, it seems like, He's he's so athletic that he sort of athletics himself away from contact and into difficult trying like scoop around finger roll finishes. Um, is that something you yeah. noticed? And is that something for that sure are, that, that he's aware of? Yes, and so there's a couple things that go into that. Um, Seth, one is, and Timberwolves fans are going to be screaming from the top of their lungs right now. This is just the the facts. He does not get calls at the rim that he should get, um, and that's part of being a young player in the league. Or and there's a lot of things that go into that. But he, w- especially earlier in the season, I mean, he would go with reckless abandon, and he would use his physicality a lot more. And he was not getting the payoff. The referees would just not give him that whistle. Why? There's probably a lot of reasons that go into that, but youth, like all all sorts of different things, but it's just he it's it, 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 the, he, the he gets it back. The, the amount that that uh, cat complains about calls probably, could be possibly, yes possibly working against him. Yes, absolutely. That's that's another thing, no question. And so 
Um, so that is part of it. And I do think that that has kind of gotten in his head a little bit now where, and, and you couple that with his knee not being exactly where he wants it. Um, he's not dunking on people as much as he did last year or at the start of this season. And part of that is a, he doesn't think he's going to get a call. And so, and B, he doesn't have the same lift. And so now he is trying to get to the rim and get around people. Like you said, finger rolls, kind of scoop shots, things like that. And, and he's not finishing. And, you know, he went through a couple of games, you know, at Dallas, he missed three or four layups Um, against Phoenix. He missed a bunch. Um, And so, you know, that's a part that he is aware of that Chris Finch is aware of that the entire team is aware of that he needs to improve upon that. Now, does that just come from getting more calls? Does that come from being more aggressive? Does that come from somehow, you know, getting that knee in better shape? I think there's a bunch of different ways to do that, but absolutely that is an area of his game that once that is solved one way or the other, and it's a very solvable problem. This is not something that, that he can't fix eventually. Um, but once that is addressed, uh, now you're looking at a 25, 28 per game or 27 per game, you know, score pretty easily. Um, and so I just think that, you know, this is a young kid taking his lumps right now and trying to figure that part of it out. And that's absolutely, you know, a place that, that he can improve upon. Has he has he uh, re- like learned how to vary kind of speeds yet? Um, like this is sort of related to the like in, like a lot of times again just watching him like he'll there's a situation where he can jump stop power through a guy and that's probably either going to be a finish or get a call and instead it's sort of a euro step around and kind of a reach back layup um, because he's going he's going too fast to kind of balance up and and just power through. Yeah, he really, um, at right now, he really likes to go to the Euro um, when he's going to the rim. And it's a great Euro. He has an ability to kind of get around guys and, and be crafty. Um, uh, but uh, he has not yet quite harnessed all of that muscle and all of that 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 explosiveness, you know, I mean, you think about the Derrick Roses and, and, and kind of some of those players who were able to go to the jump stop, were able to, you know, kind of put a shoulder into someone to create space and then, and then get a shot off and things like that. Those are nuances that he has yet to really incorporate on a, on a regular level. Uh, you'll see it every once in a while, but definitely his go-to is definitely more of a, of a Euro, let me get around this guy rather than let me make him feel me in a different way. And so I do think that, yeah, that's a, you know, that's, that's something that he can, that he will probably, I would imagine as the summers go on here, look to continue to incorporate or add or, or fold in, you know, even more as he gets more comfortable and more confident that when he does do that, it can be really effective for him. I'm, I'm glad you mentioned Derrick Rose because that was like kind of the big growth in his offensive game uh, when, yeah. when, he, when he had his MVP year. Is he was a, a player who didn't finish as well as you thought he should at the rim in a large part because he was – stop me if you've heard this, but he was he was kind of so athletic that he would get around contact and, and slide by and, and try more difficult finishes rather than just like getting his chest on a guy and, 
and either, you know, getting two free throws or, or an and one. And then his, you know, his MVP season, his free throw rate took a, took a sizable jump forward. And I think that, that like, I, I'm not here project predicting Anthony Edwards' MVP, mm-hmm. but, yeah. but, you know, it, it would be on a similar time frame. Um, yeah. I think that, I mean, I, I, I think that's fair. Like I, I don't, I don't want to put a ceiling on it because yeah, I mean, saying he's an MVP is, is something, but I mean, I'm just, you, you watch the kid and you see his physical tools and then his makeup, like his, his charm, his charisma, his competitive juices, like he's got all of that. So it wouldn't surprise me if when he's 26 years old or 27 years old, that he's in that conversation because he does work at his game. You know, there are a lot of people who were questioned whether he loved the game, whether he wanted to put the work in, you know, going into into the draft and all that, that's all been proven to be completely absurd. Like the 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 guy loves the game. He he works really hard at it. He wants to be great and he has this innate quality about him that gets people to want to follow him too. So uh he has all of those things. Will he get there? Will he get to his ceiling? We'll see. But the ceiling that he does have, it's way, way up there. And, um, you know, Wolves fans love him. They wouldn't trade him for LaMelo right now. They wouldn't trade him for anyone. Um, you know, he, he's not there yet. He's got a lot of improvement to do. He's got a lot of learning to do. But, man, the raw materials, you know, in his head and, and, and in his body are just all, you know, right there waiting to be, to be put together. So let's before we wrap up here. I mean, we've talked a lot about individual players and the team success. I want to look forward a little bit. Both kind of this this impact, which I, I imagine for you, it's nice to be able to to <laughs> be looking forward to a postseason. Um, but then the sort of of uh, what the team kind of needs, where where they you know make some changes around the edges. Um, so let's let's take the first one first. Let's not get ahead of ourselves. Like, what is the? I mean, I would think that that you know making the second round would have to be seen as a uh, just a smashing success of the season. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean that. Yes. At, when when you know when the season started, we thought nine or ten seed. Try to get to the ten nine seed. Get a play in, and if you win and get into the playoffs, great. You know that's. I think that those were the expectations. I think you thought. You saw maybe 35, 36, 37 wins, you know, and, and, and just being that. They've been much better than that now. And so I do think, you know, that raises the expectations and it raises the bar to where, you know, I think that you want to see them get into, you know, get out of the play-in tournament, get into a series and just give, you know, if they can somehow get that seven seed and, and just give Memphis a series, make them – Work for it. Put a scare into them. Win a game or two. Um, you know, and, and and show them that that you have something. You know, inside of you that okay, this isn't just going to be a walk in the park. Now, the, the, the I will freely admit that I'm as curious as anyone how this team is going to fare, both in the plan against likely a Clippers team with Paul George back at least with maybe Norm Powell and who knows with Kawhi or whatever. But um, I think that's a big challenge for them because this team, the Wolves have won a lot of games against good opponents who were missing key cogs. Um, they beat the the Bucks in, in Minnesota without Giannis. They beat Cleveland without Garland. They beat 
uh, the, the, the Warriors without Clay and Draymond. They beat, you know, uh, the Miami without Jimmy Butler. Um, so they're, they have gone through several, several situations where they have played well and they deserve to have some faith and trust in them because they've, they've compiled the record that they have, but we still haven't really seen them, you know, play teams at full strength, you know, certainly not in a series. So, um, I don't know how they're going to react, but they do have a lot of high-end talent at the top. Towns is a, incredibly talented. Edwards, D'Angelo Russell has had a very good year. If they get McDaniel's and Beasley back, like that, those are huge role players for them. They have the talent to play with a lot of talented teams. We just haven't seen it yet. So, um, you know, I, I could see a, several scenarios. I could see them beating the Clippers, going into and, and putting a real scare into Memphis, maybe even shocking them and, and getting into the second round. Or I could see them losing to the Clippers and then maybe losing to a feisty Pelicans team and not even making the playoffs at all. So it's, it's a wide berth for these guys in terms of what their potential is. And really, most importantly, is, is going to be just the, the evaluation aspect of it. Um, we, you, I don't know how many different players we've mentioned. Um, it's kind of the, it's, it's a good spot to be in if you're the Wolves, but that's too many guys. In that, yes. in that, you know, you you uh, you know, which guys are you know, it's good to you know, you said Tori, like for example, Torian Prince has been good for them. Tori, if Torian Prince is on the team next year, does that make or break anything? Mm-hmm. Pro, pro, probably not. Probably not. Right. Right. It's more like figuring out is Jared Vanderbilt a, a playoff guy? Is what yep. what is you know it, it, you know does is does Jalen Noel have enough? Uh, mm-hmm. Jalen Noel kind of yeah. have enough to make Malik Beasley. It seems to me that the that just on how their guys like stack up at that that level of competition, but also that level of sort of prep uh, from from opponents. Um, I think that's that's the like I think that's the most important thing really about getting into the playoffs itself. It's just getting that, you know, putting, getting that stuff on tape can have a really clean look at evaluating their guys. Huge. Yeah, huge. I mean, throw D'Angelo Russell into that as well. Like, he's had a very, very good year. Um, but, like, you have to see him in a playoff scenario. Like, is he a guy that you can rely on against high-quality competition to come through in big moments? And, uh, you know, he's kind of he's scuffling really badly lately from a shooting standpoint. Um, and against some of the best teams that they've played lately, Phoenix, Dallas, Boston, Toronto, he's really not shown up. So um, is this just a little shooting skid for him, or, or is this indicative of more? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the best four defenses in the league. Exactly, but, exactly, but if, if you're paying him $30 million a year, right. like you need him to be able to be – he can't just have four points on three for 15 – uh, against those teams, like those are those are your max. That's your max dollars. You, they got to be a way to be at least at least marginally effective against those teams. So, um, so that's you know that's another one. So you know and yeah, like I I think you know looking ahead, like regardless of what happens here, they need to get bigger. They need to get more rebounding. They need to give kind of Carl Anthony Towns some help in the front court from a muscle shot blocking. Um, you know, mobility standpoint, um, and they can always use more shooting. But, um, but yeah, this, you know, whatever happens, you know, going down the stretch into the play-in, hopefully for the Timberwolves' sake in the, in the playoffs, 
it's going to be a huge evaluator because so many of these guys have not really been in these situations before. I think that's uh, as as uh, as the police are coming for you. I guess. Yeah, I guess it, so. To to escort you to your, your beers that you have to get to. Uh, let's let, let's get you off on that. You know, tell uh, tell the folks where they can where they can find your work. Of course, the, the athletic. Why are you not subscribing already? But, yeah. but uh, yep. If yeah, so you can get me yeah, at the athletic. Let the athletic Minnesota is where the written work is. I have. You can find me on Twitter at John Krasinski, not that one, the other one, J-O-N-K-R-A-W-C-Z-Y-N-S-K-I. And you can also uh, listen to, I have a weekly podcast, Timberwolves podcast, the John Krasinski show on talknorth.com, um, where we break down kind of the big things going on in Timberwolves land once a week. So you can find me all over the place, but those are, those are some good and easy ones to get my content. Well, th- that's a good spot to wrap. Thanks a lot for for coming on on uh, on short notice, as I had I had some stuff move around on me. Um, I really appreciate it, but uh, but this has been long overdue because um, I feel like the wolves nationally have flown a little bit under the radar, and that's kind of a shame. Um, so wanted to uh, to to uh, shine a light on on kind of what's what's been happening there over the last couple of months. Well, hey, appreciate you having me on, Seth. Uh, I'll come back anytime and. Uh... And uh, thanks for uh, thanks for giving me a chance. Absolutely, and uh, thanks, folks, for listening. As I mentioned at the, at the top, uh, my interview with uh, Rodney Barnes, uh, writer of Winning Time, uh, will should drop tomorrow. And then next week, uh, I start off on my team that I've haven't uh, talked about nearly enough on this podcast, which is the Phoenix Suns. Um, so tune in for that on uh, on Monday evening. Um, and thanks a lot. Thanks for listening, folks. And I will talk to you again soon.